Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast. Today we have a very special guest joining us when we are going to discuss the evolution of Walt Disney World culture over the years. Before we bring in our guest, uh, I will let his partner in crime uh, introduce him in just a moment, but let me introduce my partner in crime, Jeff Kober, owner and operator of DisneyAtWork.com. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I am I am fantastic. As we were talking before we uh, started recording, we are getting ready for a trip to St. Louis and then my beginning of my sojourn down to Walt Disney World for a couple of weeks. So the house is crazy, but I am ready to talk about the evolution of the parks uh, that I will be visiting in a few days. Well, and we should say we are all going to be this weekend at the new uh, Pandora attraction down at uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom. So uh, looking forward to that. Stay tuned to Disney at Work because we have some uh, terrific uh, stuff uh, that will help anyone planning their vacation to Disney's Animal Kingdom and wanting to know all about Pandora. So stay tuned to that. We will hopefully announce that very shortly. But uh, uh, David, you did mention we have a special guest today. And this is probably the only time I use the word special when I think about my business partner. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's going to be like this, isn't Mark, it? Mark, yeah. Mark, okay. Mark and I ha- go back to 1996. and um, But Mark goes way back further into the early day, earlier days of Walt Disney World. And... Um, but, uh, but he and I uh, worked together at the Disney Institute uh, for a number of years. And then I left and started my own business. And then eventually um, we started a conversation about the two of us starting a business together. And he eventually left uh, Disney Institute and started his own organization, uh, Small World Alliance. And then we formed together uh, world-class benchmarking which is in its 12th year i think I that's believe. pretty good mark i really think any business that survives more than 18 <laughs> months is doing pretty good and we have actually done all right you know we've teared each yeah. other's hair out which uh if you see pictures of mark you'll understand what that looks like and uh <laughs> oh, yep we're going we, there aren't we it's we gonna are. be that kind of podcast are, it's gonna okay, be that people kind hang of on this is not gonna be your typical podcast i think kind so. of more like a roast <laughs> yeah just just to make sure we're clear uh edits cost about a dollar a piece so if there's any of those things that you would like edited out you can uh, paypal me that money uh mark and we can make sure we take care of Thank all you. of those this is gonna cost me a car i think this is gonna <laughs> exactly so, so um but we thought um we, I just wanted to have Mark early on in uh, podcast. We wanted to have Mark early on. Uh, Mark has an enormous amount of experience uh, with the Walt Disney World Resort, and he shares stories and experiences that are downright funny and and yet um, really makes some great points about uh, uh, the power behind the Disney brand and the culture 
that emanates from that. And, uh, and we've been actually, that's the focus of much of our work is to share those stories and best practices to a wide range of organizations in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. So, um, so we're really glad to have you this evening, Mark. Well, thank you, sir. Good to be here and uh, looking forward to sharing whatever I can based on the years. I guess my, my tenure at Disney spanned like 26, 27 years. So yeah, uh, we've, we can, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we should, we, we should probably make sure uh, for all of our listeners that we offer a little bit of a disclaimer that there's a very good possibility that as we discuss today, that there will be some uh, backstage stories told that some folks might consider to quote unquote, ruin the magic. So if those are things that you do not enjoy hearing or you have uh, small ones in the in the vehicle or at home with you that you do not want to hear those stories, uh, this might be a time where you would listen to this without them and then maybe bring them in later to listen if they like to hear those stories. But I want to make sure we do uh, drop that disclaimer in there before we, we kick off. Yeah, thanks for... Thanks for sharing that, David. This will be safe for work. Not safe for family, but this will be safe for work. <laughs> Not safe yeah. for Disney purists. So tell. let's go back then uh, to mm-hmm. the beginning of that uh, 26, 27-year career. Um, tell me, how did you hire into Disney? What, what was going on in your life at that point? And what was that experience like uh, joining uh, Walt Disney World? You know, a... A lot of people ask me about why did you come to Disney, and I tell you, I and I tell them, I don't remember why I wanted to work for Disney, but I do remember the day I interviewed for Disney, I, because part of the what's was memorable back then is this is back in 1978. It, it was essentially two double wide trailers in the middle of a bunch of orange groves. <laughs> So, and the joke was, if you can find it, you're hired. I mean, that was kind of the, the thing. So um, I, I don't really remember why. I was thinking I, was, I had just started um, some college classes and thought, you know, it's the summertime, I'll get a summer job, and then I'll go back to school and just you know, continue that. And of course, as you hear from many long-term people, uh, you know, that summer job turned into, you know, a, a career or two. Uh, but... Uh, but the way it was set up, it was very simple. It was two double-wide trailers. You'd go in, and uh, you'd do a quick little interview, and they would kind of tell you about some of the non-negotiables, and this is what it's all about, you know, working here. And and then it was essentially you got stuck. You, you were you were placed in either resorts or parks. As I recall, at one point, they were unmarked trailers, and. Yeah. You didn't know which line you were in, but one led to a job in resorts and one led to a job yep, at the Magic that's Kingdom. That's exactly the way it was. I it found was... a photo of that, a black and white photo of that. Did I share that with you? I have <laughs> I to go find so. that. If we can find that for the notes, it's a it's a pretty funny thing because it looks like it's in the middle of a uh, of a forest. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, it looks uh, like Jed Jed Clampett's going to come walking out in a minute. <laughs> doesn't it, look like they've done any roads yet. You know, yeah, no, thing. it was it was it was the small. It was unbelievable, and and I remember the reason I remember it is because I was driving around in the Millie's Orange Groves, thinking, "Oh my gosh, I am so lost. I don't even know if I'm still in Florida." I mean, I was just kept driving around, and finally, uh, and they and people kept telling me, "Oh, you're gonna see, feel like you're lost, but just keep going. Trust us. You know, keep following this road, and you'll get there." And sure enough, boom, you know, there's the trailer. So, uh, went through 
interview and uh, they hired, I mean, they, they told me I was hired before I walked out. For the Magic Kingdom? Actually, no. I had, um, well, let's see. I'm going to have to admit some stuff. When I first got hired, they said, we've got a great spot for you in, in a place called Central Foods. <laughs> Which is, for those who don't know, it's basically the mass food processing plants that they, they put all that, like you build pizzas and all this stuff. You, you make it all behind the scenes. Home of the sandwich, so, if you yes. remember the sandwich. Oh, yeah. So uh, so I, I said, okay, whatever that is. I went through or, the traditions, the orientation program is three days or so. And then I go into, and I'm telling people I'm at Central Foods. I have no idea what it is. And I, and this to tell you, I mean, I was young. I didn't, you know, I was cocky, I guess. But I go walking into the Central Foods, and I'm thinking, I'm not doing this. And I, I, I was there for about two hours going through their little overview of what it's going to be like. And when, we, when the overview was done, I went up to the guy and said, I am not doing this job. And he looked at me like I had my, you know, like I had three heads. So he's he, like, he didn't know what to tell me. So I went back to the, the trailer and I said, hey, I, you know, you guys put me in this job and I'm not doing that. I need another job. And then the guy said, well, okay, you know, here, first of all, he looked at me like I had three heads. And then it's like, you know, okay, here's, here's another job. Go to custodial. But they called it something different. I didn't know it was custodial until I got there. And then I go over to the place, and I'm like, uh, oh, what? Uh? And I'm there like six hours maybe that day. And, it's like, and I finally was, no, I'm not doing this either. So I go back to the trailer. And I sat in the trailer. I got there the next morning. And I sat in that trailer in the lo little lobby area all day long. I think it was like 4.30 in the afternoon. I think they thought I was just going to give up and leave. I just sat there until they finally came out and said, okay you know how about Frontierland operations i said okay i think i could buy that so that's what started my uh, on day three of my career i was in Frontierland operations that's where it all so, started i should back up a minute did you ever go to the magic kingdom prior to being employed do you I have went, any early memories of going as a kid yeah i went there they opened in october of two, of 1971 and my family, I grew up over uh, right out, off of the um, NASA, Coast. the Space Coast. So uh, in December, I think, so it was like two months after they opened, my family went out there and we stayed at Fort Wilderness. And it was like a long weekend or something. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, ironically enough, I'm not a theme park guy. I like national parks. I like camp. I like doing stuff more natural so I never really thought of Disney like working there. It was just a place to go. And uh, so I really didn't connect the dots. I don't know what I was thinking. Again, I just thought, yeah, I'll do something. They're hiring, I heard, so I'll go there and I'll play around for a few months then I'll go back to school. I should mention I said that. I think I said the sandwich. I meant to say the hand witch. There oh. was this device that uh, uh, somebody came up with where you could, you, they could, would stuff the makings of the sandwich inside of a cone type thing, yeah. which is similar to the cone witch they now have at, um, but at any rate, at any rate, it was, a, it was yeah, one of trauma. those really bad ideas. But Traumatic it was experience. The sandwich. Um, yes. So tell me, so uh, uh, tell me what the culture of the organization was like at that time. What was it, what was it like 
I mean, this is now um, what? This is about nineteen seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Yep. 78. So, um, tell me what the culture of this organization is like at that time. What What would yeah. it feel like to be there? It It was very unified. I remember it was like a family more than anything else. And uh, but keep in mind, it was only one theme park. We just had the Magic Kingdom. There weren't all these different theme parks, and I mean, we still had A through E tickets when I started. It was. You know, it, uh, I th- my guess is there's probably, I don't know, 14,000 people working there at the time. And be, and it, what I thought was kind of cool was that you, uh, there were a lot of people there that had started on day one. You still interacted with a lot of people that were like, oh yeah, I was here when they first opened the park. And so there was a lot of camaraderie. And, um, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, again, it was like family, um, and it was very simple. It was it's a smaller group? If, if you can have fourteen thousand people, yeah, I was going to say fourteen thousand does not necessarily constitute yeah. a small family-like organization. Yeah. What made it family-like? Well, I think it was like the, because it was the only game in town. I think you know, as any organization gets larger, uh, it, it you um, you're just kind of spread out a little bit more. I mean, just physically on Disney property, you know, what, 40 some odd square miles of, of land, you know, now that they've got all these different uh, branded theme parks, it's it's just a, the, the look and feel of all the different locations tend to be more and more varied. And so I just think that, you know, because we saw each other every day, um, we, you know, we were on the softball teams and we did all the stuff. We had the little cast you know, things that we did to have fun after hours. Uh, I just think that's kind of helped keep it family-like, I guess. Did the canoe race as a cast member yeah. many times yeah. over, probably? Yeah, anything goes. Uh, matter of fact, I, I saw a photograph of me. Uh, when we won first place, I've got a photograph that was in eyes and ears at the time. But um, but yeah, yeah, it was um, it, it was just a, a nice place, a different era. I mean, this is again the '70s. So tell me about some of your first roles because uh, you started in Frontierland. Was that an attractions role? So yeah, I did because I was, uh, you were doing canoes. I did Frontierland, Adventureland. I did Main Street eventually. Um, you know, parade, crowd control, all those kinds of deals. But yeah, I did canoes and keelboats and riverboats and everything on the rivers of America. Um, and then the following... I think you day, still remember your spiel from the keelboat days. Oh yeah, you? well howdy all you pioneers, engineers, mutineers, mouse cures, malls, paws, grandmas, grandmas, in-laws, outlaws, guitars, summers, banjo pickers, chicken pluckers, nose pickers, and a special howdy to all you pretty gals. This is David... Yeah, I mean, it was just... I mean, you can't say the pretty gals part anymore, I'm sure, but uh, yeah, but... Um, <laughs> But it's kind of crazy that 30-some-odd, you know, almost 40 years later. Um, uh, it's still yeah, ingrained. It's brain damage. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but the following year, you know, I went into the character department. So, uh, it, you know, the zoo crew. Uh, so there it's was, what we uh, called the Disney characters back yes, then was the Disney zoo crew. Characters. Yeah, they still call them the zoo crew, I think. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I did sets, parades, electrical light parade, you know, those kinds of things. That's where I went into a management role. Did, uh, th- but just very quickly, um, you know, it was very typical for people at Disney to switch jobs every couple of years if they choose to. You know, if they're 
ambitious or if they're they have a short attention span like me um, you know get bored easy it's, it's easy to move around and try new challenges new adventures so I did everything from I was in entertainment I did special events did guest relations uh, then tickets merged with guest relations so I did a little bit of that did transportation buses boats did resorts human resources uh, you know just a little of everything Disney Institute so yeah and now I know that you opened uh, you helped to open uh, Big Thunder Mountain later on so did you switch yes. back to attractions or were you just kind of floating back and forth between these well, uh, these that's, roles that's when um, when they opened Big Thunder Mountain um, they they were looking for people that had ex- a resort experience or not resort um, attractions experience and I, the way it was working is they were, um, they were offering overtime. So I said, <laughs> I, was, I was working uh, the night parade, electrical light parade. And then during the day, I would go to, because I had the guy, the manager who was in charge of that opening was my supervisor when I was there in Frontierland. And he knew I was a hard worker. And, you know, they, they like it. Um, you know, you got to be resourceful. You got to be a can-do person and all that and i guess i fit the bill so and i remember used to hang out all the time at wet and wild in those early days so if i understand you you, this correctly you went to wet and wild then big thunder then main street electrical parade repeat yeah (laughs) and i had the best tan ever (laughs) i would go to wet and wild and just pass out i mean i would i would literally at end of the electrical light parade i'd get home about 2 a.m i'd sleep for about two or three hours i'd pull myself out of bed, go out to wet and wild, ski on the little thing for a couple of times, and then I'd just pass out and sleep until I had to get up to go into work. Yeah, I'd sleep in the sun all summer long. And now he spends his days going to visit the, uh, dermatologist. the dermatologist. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so any, any memorable moments from that uh, time period? Any, any stories oh, yeah. that really stand out? Well, I've got, you know, I, um, Actually, there's a, there's, I've got a few I just come up the top of my head. Here, here's um, when I was in the character department doing fur. I was, I was, I was friends with Br'er Bear at this day. And, uh, and there was this little girl, you know, I don't know, a couple years old. And she comes up and grabs my finger and basically takes me on a 20-minute tour of Fantasyland. And her parents are really enjoying it. They're really into it. And then, you know, after 20 minutes, like, I'm thinking, okay, little girl, I got to go take a break. It's hot, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waving goodbye to her and, you know, basically telling her I had to go. And I acted like I was sad, you know. And then the girl, she's, this little girl's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's been carrying around this little binky, this little blanket. And she comes up to me and, like, is wiping my eyes in the costume. And then she gives me her binky. And all of a sudden, out of the corner, out of the corner of my eye, I'm, the, the mother like practically falls down. She's crying so hard, and I'm thinking, "Whoa, this is kind of an overreaction. What's going on?" And so, and, I, and I've got this blanket in my hand. Like I can't leave with her blanket. And so she runs back to her mom, and she's like doing something with her mom. And then the husband, the father, comes over, and says, and kind of whispers to me, and says, uh, "You're probably wondering why she's crying so much." <laughs> You know, why the mother is crying. She said, well, we've been trying to get her to let go of this blanket for like a year and a half. 
and she ain't having it. Uh. And now, and she's like, they, they couldn't even wash it. They were, I mean, she's like absolutely not letting it go. And they were just blown away that we had developed this little bond. And, uh, you know, she freely gave it to me. And that was like the end of her binky years, I guess. So, um, so that was, uh, you know, that was that. Uh, that's one that comes to mind. Um, that is a sweet experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, working with celebrities, you know, both as a frontline person and as a manager, uh, you know, there's um, some are great, you know, some are jerks, which I won't name names. And then some are just weird. You, you know, had kind good. of, we, uh, the Magic Kingdom had more of a, what was it, kind of a castle show where, pe- where people were being invited to perform in front of the castle a lot. Yeah, Is we, that we what had a lot of special events. You know, when I started, um, I, they actually put me, they promoted me to special events and it was a part-time job. It was like half my time I was doing special events cause we, and I had three people that reported to me. That was the whole department. <laughs> so it was very early on. And, uh, and the other half of the time I'd work in entertainment doing scheduling and some other things I was doing. So, um, so yeah, I, I uh, and by the time I left special events, there were 300 and some odd people working underneath me. And that was <laughs> a big part of my promotion progression, whatever you want to call it. But, um, but yeah, you get some, get some really great people you know, John Denver, who we had a lot of talks about, like martial arts and aviation. He was really into that. People didn't know, but he was really into that kind of thing. And you, Bob Hope, um, you know, I, I remember Bob Hope was, uh, Volvo had sold out, had bought the park for a special event. And I'm the stage manager, and Bob gets out there, and, I, and he's in the wings waiting to get called out on stage with his, you know, da, 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 you know, his intro song. And uh, I just looked at him, just, you know, passing time hey mr hope how are you feeling and i'm just thinking you know he's gonna say oh sure fine get out there and go he turns to me and with this all seriousness he says i think i'm gonna throw up and i'm freaking out because like he's the big guest and he's supposed to go out there and do a show and i freak out and i go running over to dolores his wife and i'm i'm like losing my stuff and she's like sweetheart settle down (laughs) He says that every time he goes on stage. And I and afterwards I find out the guy had huge stage fright. And he literally his biggest fear was that he would vomit right as he they'd say, Here's Bob Hope and he'd he'd walk out on stage and vomit. That was his biggest fear. But he overcame that and that was real inspirational to me. That you know, inspirational that he he just decided as a out of force of will to get out there and just do it. So that was always cool but i mean there's you know there's all kinds of i mean throwing the baseball with ricky schroeder when he was a little kid the you um you had uh, opportunities to work with a lot of people were there any individuals or any leaders or managers or people that you just dealt with anybody who really stood out that you would say whether they had a title or not they were a leader they they were an influence uh to you oh yeah oh yeah i you know i think uh, I got to say, the best leader I've ever worked with is Frank Wells, who Frank Wells and Michael Eisner came on board in 1984. And um, you were there that day when they and, came and did the whole visit in front of the castle. Oh yeah. And in fact, they did a before the park opened. They had they, they invited everybody to come out and meet the new executives, the new CEO, and new president. And there was probably twenty thousand, or at that time by '84, there was probably like you know. 
almost 20,000. So there's probably 15,000 people are there in front of the castle. And it, it filled up all of Main Street. I mean, it was just completely packed. And they get up there, Michael Eisner, Michael's doing his thing. And I remember Frank specifically, he gets up, and I guess he didn't realize there's going to be so many people there. And you could visibly see him, his hands shaking, the microphone, and he's got this glottal fry, like, uh, uh, I can barely talk. And he's like trying to talk to people. And you could tell the guy was just incredibly nervous. But, but once I started working with him uh, on a couple of different projects, um, he, is, he was Mr. Integrity. He passed away in uh, 94, I think, mm -hmm. in a hella skiing accident. But, um, uh, but, you know, he taught me the importance of integrity. That guy was just incredible. He, he walked the talk, and it's like he could do it all. He wasn't Mr. Charismatic, but, uh, and that was Michael Eisner's job. That was, you know, he was out there, the voice of the, of the company. But, but Frank was the operations guy, and I'm an ops guy, so uh, he, we spoke each other's language, and just, he was always, um, you know, there was just a lot to like about him. Anybody else that stood out? Uh, you know, I, there there have been so many. Uh, you know, again, we could this could be a long podcast, but uh, I mean, there are people that I admire and uh, you know, friends with people from the, back when I first started in the late seventies that I still have very close relationships because you know there there are aspects of their personality that uh, that matter, and you know those are all leadership issues. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... Prior to Wells and Eisner, uh, you were um, part of opening up Epcot. I mean, there are thousands oh involved gosh. with that opening, but tell me yeah, about yeah, your experience that with up. that. Oh, man. Well, anytime you're opening a new, you're on an opening team, uh, it's intense. Let's just put it that way. I mean, uh, what you want for your team is the most agile. I think, as I mentioned before with Bug Thunder, you know, most agile, resourceful, can do. You know, let them figure out, you know, whatever, because there are always changes. Every day there are changes, and let them adapt and problem solve uh, with the right criteria. You know, you got to align them with the Disney values and the get, you know, making sure the guest experience is at the center of it all and all that kind of thing. And then let them do it. And you know, if and if you have enough pizza and donuts and coffee and all the stuff that drive all that. Um, you know that trial by fire um, it works and it's just uh, you don't get a lot of sleep and you know and everyone gets on everyone's nerves and there, there are times when little blow-ups happen but at the end of the day uh, there is not a feeling like uh, you know walking away from an opening event and saying we did that, like we pulled all that off, and people, some people never know the hundreds, the thousands of challenges and problems and obstacles you had to overcome, and to walk away feeling, I mean, that's a sense of accomplishment. And and not only that, I mean, what's great about being part of opening teams is uh, the ones that survive it are the ones that get promoted. I mean, that's like a great opportunity to test people for leadership skills and the ability to work in teams and engage people and all that kind of thing love that the um uh in that spirit was there any experiences that were really uh a challenge a you know a trial by fire struggle as it were oh gosh well i mean with with, with epcot it, it was a brand new concept we were over budget i mean we had managers all staff 
all managers who are salaried. And this is what this, I look back on this, and this is one of the things I think, gosh, well, why did that? Why did we do that? Why did we put up with that? But all the, the salary people were essentially working double shifts for like six months, no days off. I mean, it, you, every so often you'd get one day off, you know, every three weeks or something. It was crazy. But, um, uh, but that was, you know, those were difficult. And, you know, um, and there was just a whole lot. Of, we were making it up as we went along. There was this whole, we were, at the time, we could, they were think, talking about it like it was the educational park, yeah. which was not the way, you know, that, that wasn't it. Uh, but we didn't know what it was yet. But it, all we knew, it was, it was totally different than Disneyland. It was totally different than Disney World, the Magic Kingdom in here, you know, at, at Disney World. And uh, it was, you know, that, I would say the two most challenging, difficult moments that I had as a manager was uh, was both the, the opening team the Epcot Center experience, and very fulfilling, but still yeah. very difficult. And then uh, right after the takeover attempts in 1984, at you know, bef- right before Eisner and, and that actually the whole process where Eisner and Wells came on board, there was like a year and a half in there where there were a lot of scared cast members, you know, and then that was that was intense. And the third one, I just actually thought of a third one. In 1985, I was, when I was still with special events, uh, Reagan did his second inauguration. If you recall, that's that January it was so cold they couldn't have people outside, like the, mm-hmm. the band peep kids and all that. Yeah, so um, so uh, like two months before they came, it's like March or something. They said uh, somebody floated the idea. You know, well, and I think it was somebody in marketing or something that was talking to one of the vendors at the inaugurate or at uh, in DC someplace saying, well, you know, if the, if you ever want to recreate all the stuff that you didn't get a chance to do, Disney would be happy to host you. And they were just like talking out of the back of their head. You know, I don't know what they were thinking, but, but suddenly word got back to Reagan and Reagan said, actually, I think that's a great idea. Let's see if we can make this happen. And and Eisner had just come on board a little bit prior to Eisner and Wells just came on board. And it came back where, like, we got this. And at first when it came in, I was like, well, that's never going to happen. It was like they were talking about doing it uh, on Memorial Day, which was like two months out. And I remember thinking, there is no way that's happening. But, it's, but, but I said, you know, but, you know, whatever, let us know what you want to do. But I sent in the little request thing, and I added my two cents saying, this is stupid, no way we can make this happen. And Eisner, I hear from my boss, Eisner came back personally saying, you do whatever it takes to make this happen. And my whole team just about <laughs> had an aneurysm. Uh, oh, it was awful. But, uh, but I tell you, that was as grueling as that was. Um, and I learned... You know, I jokingly say that I doubled the number of curse words in my vocabulary as a result of that experience. Uh, that was there were a lot of details. Incredibly in difficult, very intense. Uh, I mean, Secret Service and the whole bit. I mean, they he landed uh, Marine One, the helicopter, right behind mm. the American Adventure Pavilion. <laughs> and just, I mean, there's all kinds of little things you don't. Oh, no, security. Of, like, oh, yeah. I remember. Well, I remember people what? pointing to certain <laughs> certain places and saying, "Yeah, see that." It used to not be welded until the Reagan inaugural event, yeah. and then we had to weld everything shut uh-huh. tight so nobody could because he had yeah. already had that assassination attempt previously. Yeah. So. 
Yep. You know, Mark, I'm I'm sitting here listening to some of the things you're sharing, and um, and thinking about again what was the culture back at this time, and I'm hearing some words from you. I'm hearing some things that made that ex- that time period unique, especially at least leading up to Epcot. I think Epcot kind of t- was a big page turner where things got bigger and then Eisner got even bigger than that. Yes. But, um, you know, yeah. I think uh, the organization was a lot more agile where there was a lot more uh, flexibility. Uh, you talk about Br'er Bear moving around with a little girl, you know, th- that just doesn't happen these days you know you have a character att- you don't even have a character attended back then you know it was just kind of off on your own and 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 kind of doing what um made sense and um uh it seems like that era was a lot more relationship focused that um yep. that was a, a cornerstone of how things got done during that era i think uh, the organization was a lot flatter Especially, I mean, I, I know you probably played softball with people from the resort side, but I think really it was kind of two companies working at that same time, at that time. And yeah. people working yeah. in the contemporary probably didn't even know really people working in the Polynesian. They just were their little people over at the contemporary. And you folks at the Magic Kingdom, we, you were just kind of doing your thing at the Magic Kingdom. Um, but it, I think it, it was a lot flatter back then you had to be a lot more resourceful during that time. Um, there were more opportunities for movement, for promotion. Disney is a big believer, has always stated as a big believer if we promote within. But I think that was a time where you really had that opportunity. Um, yeah. And that, and that, you know, sweat equity really matters uh, during that era. Um, yeah, well, we hired, I, I want to say... And again, it's been a lot of years ago, but I want to say we had to hire like 6,000 people to staff Epcot. And back the way, by the way, it was drilled. It was Epcot <coughs> Oh, yes. Oh, no. Don't you dare call it Epcot. It was Epcot Center. Yeah, so, as far as um, you've been calling it Disney World, so, because it was also Walt Disney World. And yeah, Walt Disney World. That's right. Stated so, that. um, uh, but uh, yeah, it, but there was a whole lot of hiring, and that was again one of those jokes. If you can fog a mirror, you know you're in, you know, <laughs> with Epcot. But uh, but like I said, we did not hit our numbers. We did not hire enough people uh, because at the time it was just a really tight market, and we ended up, I would say, six months. It took about six months after Epcot Center opened to. Uh, until people were not working like double shifts. I mean, it was overtime sitting. Yeah, I think you were doing things at the Magic Kingdom. Oh yeah, and the, during the day, and then going over and running friendship boats at at night, weren't you? That's exactly right. We were working at Mexico. We were, I mean, any place we had to go. And I'm not. I don't look Mexican, so I. It was one of those, you know. Uh, uh, now, I mean, the, the intent was. You want people from Mexico to work right. in that country. You want people from Italy to work there. So, uh, so we were so desperate that you know we had most of the people. We had a lot of people from Mexico working in that pavilion, but then they'd stick me in there. You know, they and um, just because they needed warm bodies, and it was any basically anywhere. I don't care where it was, Canada, or wherever. I mean, you just you'd show up, and it was just where do you need me? And keep in mind, as salary people, we did not make any more money. Mm. 
Yeah, bummer. <laughs> yeah, why did I not leave Disney then? But uh, but you know what? It, it's just you, you believe in something and you're willing to sacrifice for it. And there's a camaraderie and there is a... And I guess I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. I love that kind of environment where things are ramping up and it's like you're flying by the seat of the pants and it forces you to get creative and innovative. To me, I think, you know, some people get into that and others just don't. So, but yeah, that was, uh, but it, it has been different, but I do think it's, uh, and, and that was a big changing point because I think because we were, we were, uh, Disney was taking at the time, they were taking in employees that maybe were, they weren't as, um, uh, demanding of the, the the personality types and the types like do they really fit the culture? You know that I think that was a learning. It took Disney to it quite a few years to recover from as far as getting back on track with the importance of being um, demanding, and building and, that, uh, and have a high uh, criteria yeah. for getting people Get, getting a right fit. Uh, cast member yes. in place to to the attractions yep. and and roles uh, that are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, this is great dialogue, and um, I think this provides us probably David uh, a stopping point because we still have a whole bunch of really interesting <laughs> years that we haven't covered yet, and uh, unfortunately, I think uh, I think this is a two parter series. Uh, if you're all right with this, Mark. Uh, but I, because I want to, in our next uh, discussion, take it from there. I know you had an opportunity to leave, but then you came back. And uh, maybe we could talk about those years and how um, how they differed from the earlier years. Sure. And uh, I think that would be a great uh, set of stories as well. What do you think, David? Yeah, so we will go ahead and uh, basically take a break for you listeners in our discussion right now. And then in our next episode, we will have part two of our discussion with Mark David Jones about the evolution of Walt Disney World culture over the years. Hope you join us for part two.